Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Alan B., Ryan S., Jared W., Jack T., and Paul M. Returning to the program today is Mr. Joe Kelly. Joe is the Chief Executive Officer at Uranium Markets, LLC, a boutique full-service uranium broker that matches up buyers and sellers of uranium globally. The company is based in Connecticut, United States. You can learn more about Uranium Markets, LLC via their website, uraniummarkets.com. Joe, welcome back. How is 2023 treating you so far? Well, so far, so good. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I do appreciate uh, the invitation to have a little discussion about anything nuclear. It's kind of fun for me uh, uh, to talk about that stuff. Uh, people, normal people anyway, that uh, that you run into and they hear that you're in the uh, nuclear or the uranium business find it kind of interesting. So I, I find myself having these conversations quite often. So I'm happy to be here and happy to answer any questions you might possibly have. It's a pleasure to have you back, Joe. And why don't we kick it off with this? Some folks have really had their patience tested over 2022, along with obviously a gut test with a 30 to 80% off stage in the uranium market with respect to the equities coming back to around October 2021. While the uranium price itself really, Joe, has held up pretty well. How do you think this year shapes up for both the uranium prices and also the underlying equity prices? Well, I'll tell you what, the uranium price, it's kind of exciting when you watch or have watched the market uh, like I have, being one of the uh, foremost experts in the world of uh, spot uranium, because that's what I do all day long is keep my eye and monitor the uh, the global trading of spot uranium and just maybe a little bit out in the midterm, maybe a year or two out, but mostly spot. Uh, but it, what happens in this market is the market has to grow comfortable with the price. And, and uh, we had the price because of oversupply in the past that had sold off to a level that was unsustainable, uh, but yet all that uranium had to find a home and the price got depressed below where it had to be. But the utilities have to grow comfortable with the price once it goes up. They they tend not to buy on the way up or at high prices. They wait for it to come back down. And, uh, and in the last year, we've stabilized at a higher price than it has been for some time. So now that it's sustained at that level, uh, that now the consumer, the natural consumer, the utility can now understand that uh, that in their reports and their accounting and their budgeting, uh, that this is the price they need to pay. So once that's established, then the mining sector could actually take a look at what they can actually make on uh, producing or, or digging the uranium out of the ground and, uh, and, and getting it out for sale. So now we've had a sustained period of time where we're around $50. Uh, sometimes it'll go down to 48, bounce up to 52. So now we've had uh, a range around for, uh, 50 bucks. So now the, the, the world is comfortable paying 50 bucks again for uranium. So now what the, uh, the supply side has to understand is how to deal with the demand as it stands. So that, that's the fun part right now of the, uh, of the producers now understanding that you have a, a reasonable price to plan going forward. Uh, when it was way cheap and they were trying to deal with the oversupply, it was impossible for, uh, uh, for these producers to actually understand how they're going to make money uh, by digging uranium. And we certainly know that all the nuclear power plants in the world need uranium. They consume it uh, uh, on, a, on a daily basis with consistency. So we've stabilized at a price. Now what are we going to do going forward? That's the interesting aspect. We, we talked about uranium being a good space right now, that nuclear is a good space, because it's viewed favorably because it's carbon-free generation of electricity uh, in a reliable, uh, broad scale. So what you have is you now you can count on a consistent generation of electricity for nuclear, uh, and you also are not ruining the environment with, uh, uh, with, uh, with carbon emissions. So it's kind of looking positive globally. Now the interesting concept here, now that we've uh, we've uh, settled into a price that's uh, that's somewhat sustainable and realistic, uh, then your consumption can now that it's viewed favorably uh, might possibly increase. 
but consumption uh, is is more a long-term further out concept where if you're going to build a nuclear power plant it doesn't take you 15 minutes to build it takes you 10 years it takes you billions of dollars and uh, so you have a 10-year lead on you're actually generating your first megawatt uh, whereas uh, the production side really takes you about two years out to get production online so you have those dynamics they're working on right now so the good news is uh, the market has grown comfortable with the price of uranium being about 50 bucks. Uh, now we just have to understand what each of these assets, what their production's worth, how much profitability can they make there, and where we're going to go going forward. It's all very exciting. I can tell you, I don't see a lot of folks on the production side getting extremely excited about current prices, which means the market will eventually have to get comfortable with higher prices, be somewhere around that incentive price, which, you know, is going to vary a little bit, depending on if we're talking about United States production, Australia, Africa, what have you. How about uh, just what you saw in 2022 and the activity in the spot market? I know a lot of this is obviously private transactions, and you're going to have to know some people to be able to get what those transactions are. But can you give just the audience, uh, maybe who isn't deep in the weeds here, who was active third quarter, fourth quarter, 2022, Joe? Was there anybody specifically that you saw active that was coming through your door or stuff you were seeing in the market in terms of activity? Well, I will. I'll tell you some of the things that were interesting, but let me answer uh, one of your comments first that you made at the beginning of your question was that the uh, uh, these present prices that producers are not necessarily that happy. Uh, there was uh, not too long ago, a couple of years back, I had sold uh, 100,000 pounds of uranium to a, a small U.S. utility at $17.75 a pound. And uh, uh, and that was disastrous for the production side of the industry. Uh, so we've come a long way from $17.75 a pound uh, to around $50 a pound. So as as you said, the uh, production side might not be that enthusiastic about $50 a pound. Well, they certainly are a lot more enthusiastic than they were at $17.75 a pound. So that being said, it's for them to put their businesses together, make some sense of their business. If, if production... Uh, can meet demand, well, that, this is where we're going to sit at equilibrium. That's what I do for a living, match buyers and sellers. But to your point about activity, the fun thing or the unique thing about last year was the introduction of SPUT. Uh, SPUT now making the investor uh, somebody who can now participate in the physical uranium market and not lose the degree of liquidity necessary for them to comfortably invest in it. We've had uh, simulated ETFs close to end funds with the Uranium Participation Corporation in the past, but it, it lacked liquidity. Sometimes you would have uh, extreme discounts to net asset value, uh, which made the investor quite nervous. Uh, Sput has, has, well, they actually bought uh, UPC, Uranium Participation Corporation, and uh, and created a vehicle that easily can have them raise money and convert that raising of money into uh, uranium, the asset itself. So they've created a smooth uh, way of doing that, and they were the major spot buyer in the market last year was Sput. They took millions and millions of pounds of uranium, excess uranium, uncommitted uranium, off the marketplace, allowing the opportunity uh, for producers to actually look and understand what the true supply and demand equilibrium price is. With overhanging material that got uh, uh, that was hovering around the market for a lot of years, the true price of uranium was not reflected. A discount price for uranium was reflected, not the true price. With Sput taking all the cheap or most of the cheap uranium off the spot market, we've now created uh, a, a true supply and demand uh, mechanism, uh, a point that we are right now. So Sput was the big player, came into the market. You had usual trading entities. And as the price rose, as I said, utilities tend not to buy material. But what they did was they they nibbled away at the price. They uh, uh, they When it went from uh, $25 up to $30, they held back. It went maybe a little bit higher. So timing had it where they had to allocate some money, some budget money to some acquisition. So they bought a little bit at 30 little bit at 32. And on the way up, they kind of nibbled away at the market. You had some of the uh, producers uncharacteristically or potential producers, the junior miners had actually invested because they uh, they fully understood that the oversupply of uranium uh, was causing unrealistic pricing. So what they did is they harvested or mined uranium from the spot market. And they uh, they made major purchases, uh, millions and millions of pounds. They used uh, investor cash to do that because they understood that it was inexpensive. And as long as we can take this, this uncommitted uh, overproduction of uranium off the market in the vehicle of Sput, 
then that that would clear up a lot of the, uh, the, the well, say the misinformation, the mispricing of uranium, the underpricing of uranium, and put it to where it really should be. And that, that worked for them. They sat on this uranium. They are now going to start putting uh, some money into uh, their uh, mining operations and, and, and start producing. In the meantime, since they've harvested or mined uranium out of the spot market, they're able to uh, enter into some contracts, midterm and long-term contracts with, uh, with utilities uh, at a profit because they, most of these, these junior miners decided to make this move back around 20-something dollars a pound. So we, we saw the unique entry of uh, non-producing producers, uh, potential producers or future producers. We saw current producers actually buying cheap uranium as well. Uh, Sput came in, uh, cleaned up a lot of uh, the uranium that was overhanging the market with the money from investors who truly believe that nuclear is part of the energy production mix of the future. Uh, and they believe it's here to stay. And they believe there's probably a, a bigger percentage uh, possibly in the future. We have our, our occasional events that take place, which make us think twice about, uh, about nuclear power, Fukushima, Chernobyl, the, these sort of events. But, but enough time maybe has gone by where we understand that if we just up our or continue our safety uh, protocol, as we do within the nuclear power plants, uh, then such accidents uh, won't, won't happen again and we'll be able to count on our nuclear power going forward. So it, it's an interesting and fun dynamic right now. Good point with respect to, you know, some of the juniors uh, through that bear market. It was, and even today with some of them specifically, you're mining shareholders. And then from here, you've mined the spot market. And finally, down the road, we get to see some actual mining of pounds in the ground and actually getting that stuff out, getting cake in a can and getting it off to the converter. Quite a pleasure to start seeing that. With respect to the price increase, Joe, been in this market a long time. Let's just go back to uh, 2000 or so. Spot prices, seven bucks, eight bucks. Obviously, we haven't factored in uh, or discussed escalation and the impacts of inflation and the various uh, things that we're seeing here in the market. But then, quite a price rise from 2000 to uh, you know 2007 or so. Uh, quite a notable increase on a percentage basis, and obviously a lot of excitement with respect to buying on the way up. Joe, you've seen what's happened last time. It's way different this time. But how do you see this playing out here, and do you see something similar? Let me first address the differences. Back in uh, 2000 to 2007, when you went from, uh, oh, you, you referred to $7 a pound up to $136 a pound, well, part of the problem that caused that uh, uh, that run on the market, we'll say, is that basically everyone knew there was always plenty of supply. Uh, there was Cold War supply uh, that uh, that was sitting around. There was just uh, the the mining aspect of, of during the the arms race back many years ago. They they located and and decided where uranium was, and so it was already understood. The geologists went and figured out where it was. So so it, the potential pounds in the ground were there. Uh, so everyone always understood that there would always be pounds uh, available. What happened was in, in 2006 and 2007, as the price rose from single digits up to triple digits, what, what you had was a lack of liquidity and lack of communication and lack of transparency within the actual uranium market itself, which actually birthed my company, Uranium Markets, which is basically uh, a, a, a traditional market uh, transparency, liquidity uh, concept uh, being put to the marketplace where it never had such a vehicle before. So that for us, that was that was good. It was not good for the consumer because the consumer found themselves waiting too long, always assuming there'd be plenty of uranium available. And there was a bit of a commodities, old-fashioned commodity squeeze, which took place, uh, which gave the illusion that there was no uranium available and uh, created the the uh, the consumer uh, they had the need because they can't stop burning uranium. They can't shut down a nuclear power plant. Their job is uh, uh, their procurement agents at the nuclear power plants. Their job is to make sure that they have uranium. And if they don't have uranium, well, they're not doing their job. So the price of uranium uh, is irrelevant uh, compared to the need to have that uranium. So they uh, uh, a bit of a, some guys got into the marketplace. Some guys who understood a commodity squeeze on the trading side, a little pressure on the market, created a run, a run on the bank, we'll say, on uranium, and drove it to a very high level. Uh, put the market into a bit of a, a bit of a frenzy, 
and uh, uh, they were demand or kind of hoping that something like we presented, as I said, an old school OTC brokerage model uh, to the business and uh, created a degree of liquidity and transparency, which I would say in this environment wouldn't allow that to happen again. We had a greater run or a greater uh, quantity of uranium being purchased within the last year, uh, more, much more so than 2007, 2006. But the price went from up to $136 a pound where it didn't have to because there was no liquidity and transparency. Now we have enough liquidity and transparency where we can make it very easy for the pools of uranium uh, uh, long positions to find the pools of uranium that need uh, short positions. So the intermediary has helped that that understand the market has evolved into realizing that they have to identify where the uranium is. So such a thing, the demand that took place in the last year, that itself should have driven it up a lot higher. It did not. Uh, a lot of people were talking about a run, uh, a squeeze. A lot of people were trying to work on a squeeze. I know if you listened or went on to the uh, uh, to the chat rooms that were talking uh, this year about uranium, they were talking about triple-digit uranium again, and they were trying to hype it. Well, I think luckily the mechanism or the structure of our marketplace has prohibited irrational movement of the price. And I'm kind of, I've got to say, I'm kind of proud that, that we were able to manage that. Now, does that mean the price isn't going to go up? Well, it certainly does not. Uh, but the market is going to go up in an organized manner. And that's sort of the job I have in the market to make sure that the market moves in, in an organized manner. So, uh, so it's a little bit different than it was in the past, uh, but we had great demand on a marketplace that, that had never seen such demand before. But we're able to manage it uh, because of the, uh, the traders' help in that uh, creating liquidity. Us brokers create the uh, uh, transparency and liquidity, and we're able to, uh, to sustain a, a normal functional market. Very well, Joe. I think that'd be in for some pretty good events here over the next couple of years for certain. And we'll see where the broad market carries us. Obviously, the broad market's impacted the uranium market quite well in 2022. But given your experience and what you saw last cycle, I just want to ask, coming back to what you mentioned about you know, energy and sentiment regarding energy in the United States and around the world, how does it compare back then to now in terms of maybe even sentiment change in the last couple of years, Joe, what have you witnessed in the United States with respect to shifts in sentiment regarding nuclear power? It is similar to, I'm only in this business 15 years. I'm told that's a short period of time. Most of the folks who are in the uh, this business are in it 30, 40, 50 years. And, uh, and they've seen cycles uh, come and go. And the nuclear renaissance is what they labeled the last one back in 2007, uh, when it was uh, it was going to be uh, uh, back where it was, oh, I don't know, in the 1950s, where the expectations of uh, nuclear energy was going to be the major production uh, source of electricity in, in, the, in the country, if not the world. So uh, we, we've gone in cycles, and uh, we, nuclear renaissance back in 2007 was a cycle that looked once again like we're looking very favorably uh, on the industry. Well, we're at a point now where people understand that uh, we have carbon emissions is an important issue, uh, and uh, we're doing a lot of things to uh, reduce carbon emissions, some uh, a, a little more creative, but not as effective as nuclear power. And, and nuclear power is sustainable. It's the uranium itself is uh, uh, is is plentiful, and we're going to find that the cycle, positive cycle, is going to have to hold in for a little bit longer because, as I mentioned, to build out new nuclear power plants, it's a big risk. You need some government uh, subsidies. You need some guarantees because basically if you're putting $10 billion into the creating of a, of a new nuclear power plant and, uh, and, and you're hoping uh, to make money on that investment, well, you're not even making money for at least 20 years after you've actually built the power plant uh, because your uh, capital cost of building that power plant is, is so high. Uh, what you worry is that the trend, the flavor, the, uh, uh, the, the, the sentiment within the, uh, the world it will remain consistently behind nuclear. If it doesn't, you, you're talking 30 years before you start making money. That, 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 that sentiment could change. Another uh, something could come up, which, which could create electricity, which makes it obsolete again. So uh, with a little consistency, then we'll start leaning towards that with support of governments, which may be uh, upping the, uh, uh, the need for, uh, for 
regulatory security, uh, all these sort of things. And I love this concept of the small reactors. That seems to be catching on nicely. Uh, there's a whole lot going on that could really be positive for the nuclear industry, as long as we remain consistently supportive. Uh, which seems to be the case right now, then we'll see it moving in the right direction, in the forward direction, as far as a reliance on, on energy. And it's a, it's a good, clean source of energy. And if we run it right, if we maintain it right and operate it correctly, uh, then it'll be a, it'll be a, a future source of, uh, of electricity forever. So I think as long as the sentiment remains positive, then the support will continue. Every day we keep supporting it. Every day we like it. Every day we we uh, we applaud nuclear power because of its uh, uh, lack of carbon emissions. Then I think we get closer and closer to having a more consistent uh, fleet uh, or a, a growing fleet of uh, nuclear reactors. With respect to the renaissance, I think the real renaissance really came between 1970 and 1990. That period of 20 years was where the U.S. constructed 70 units, 70 units in 20 years that feat has not been accomplished anywhere else yet to date. That's just an incredible feat uh, between 1970 and 1990 to have 70 units built in the United States. What a record. You know, with respect to the safety issues, I, you know, it's, Joe, the reality is when you look at hydro and you look at construction like Hoover Dam, for example, and the amount of people that died in that project and were injured, you look at coal mining, you look at all the other types of energy generation, you look at the pollution from fossil fuels, you look at the injuries from wind and solar construction projects, the safety record of nuclear power is really a non-event. In fact, I think it's quite an impressive record. A lot of people don't seem to dig into the weeds and sort out those details, if you will. So let me ask you, I don't think I asked you last time, do you participate in the investment or trading side? Do you do anything with respect to the equities? Well, we used to. That's a very good question, Andrew. We used to do that uh, in uranium markets. Then then we found ourselves as a neutral intermediary, finding ourselves uh, rooting for either the market to go up or the market to go down. So then we found that uh, we're not truly uh, looking after the interest of our clients if we're, uh, uh, we're rooting for the market to go up or down. So we are position neutral. We are uh, direction neutral. Uh, at Uranium Markets, we have decided as a, as a company uh, not to uh, participate in, uh, uh, in long short of any uranium equities or in the actual uh, commodity itself. Well, I'll still flip you a few private placements on occasion when we see <laughs> Perfect. And I'll direct them accordingly. <laughs> I won't take any myself. <laughs> Let's turn the the focus a bit to Sprott, which kind of rejuvenated the spot market for a period. And I want to cover this off because we've seen some patterns. We've got to establish uh, some testing. We've established also what Sprott's strategy has been thus far, uh, watching what's happened Last time you and I talked, we were in the midst of a spot market depth test by the Sprott Group. Since, they've quieted down quite a bit, probably for the sake of the equities. We don't need to get into that, but Sprott obviously does both physical uranium and also they have quite a bit of exposure to the equities as well. And obviously, there's a direct correlation between spot price and equity prices we've seen so far. So we've seen kind of a period where they've tested the market, where they've been quite active. Uh, call it between July 2021 through really the rest of that year. And then we've seen them back off the throttle a bit here. What have you seen watching them? Have you sold them any pounds? What do you think they're going to do this year? Maybe there's a little bit of competition for Sprott, but maybe there's not, because we've seen that there hasn't been really another group that's been active. The um, yellow cakes of the world out of London, not so active in the spot market. You know, you've seen the internal transactions. What do you think's happening? Well, th those are great questions. And just for your listener's sake, and I know, Andrew, you know, the Sput I made reference to and Sprott are the same thing. Sprott is the company that owns the uh, uh, the ETF, which is Sput. Uh, so uh, uh, just for their benefit, that that we're saying the same thing. Sprott is the owner and Sput is the, uh, uh, the ETF. Sput has been, uh, they actually raised money yesterday. So it's not necessarily Sprott, the owner of Sput, or Sput that's actually taking the action. What they have is created a vehicle uh, for the investor community to access the spot market in a liquid way. So because they went quiet, uh, that doesn't, it's not them being quiet, it's the investor community of uh, identifying the price of uranium reflected in the share value of Sput. Uh, as being valuable or not, or will go up in price. If you have 
investors who believe that the price of uranium is going to go up, they will then buy SPUT. SPUT will then reach the uh, equilibrium net asset value. Uh, once they exceed that, where the value of the ETF exceeds uh, the price of uranium, then what they do is they then uh, they convert the cash being invested into SPUT uh, into uranium. So basically, it's not SPUT being quiet when not buying. It's the investor community speculating on the price of uranium going up or not. So if you have, like you had yesterday, you had investors who uh, believed that the uh, price of uranium was going to go up and the price of SPUT is worth paying the price currently reflected, and uh, yesterday's price in, in uranium was about $50. Uh, so the the uh, ETF itself exceeded the value of $50, uh, and they were able to raise money that they're going to buy uranium with and add to their uh, ETF. They haven't uh, purchased, according to the website, because they announced when they do purchase, they haven't used that money they raised yet, uh, but their intentions are obviously to bring that uh, cash that they raised to the market. So they have been quiet for a little while, not because they've been quiet. They've been, the investor community uh, has not been as bullish uh, on, uh, on uranium or the price of uranium. So it's the, uh, uh, the investor community that went quiet, not SPUT. SPUT is a vehicle to allow the investor community uh, to buy physical uranium. Yes, correct. Certainly there was a difference between that initial test period. You know, they had an application for U.S. listing in that period that they were very on the throttle, if you will, Joe. And I think in 2022, there I'd have to go back and look at the daily records, but definitely there were some periods there where there wasn't buying even when they had a premium. Could be mistaken there. I'm not a dedicated follower of what they do on a day-by-day -day basis. We tend to look at quarterly and semi-annual results. On that point, though, uh, if I may jump in just for a second, because uh, you might have—I think you're naturally going to drift into a different point. The, uh, uh, the 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 uniqueness or the difference between when they were buying versus now is $30 uranium versus $50 uranium. Now, uh, obviously, in hindsight, is always 2020, so $30 uranium is quite cheap. Uh, so the investors, the forward-seeing or forward-viewing uh, investors, the ones that did the calculations on uranium being inexpensive at $30, were a lot more excited about buying shares in SPUT uh, back when it was $30 because they believed it was going to be hit $50 or higher, which they were, in right. fact, correct. Uh, you might argue it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that since all that money went in there, they drove it up to 50 bucks. But on the other hand, you might look at it as pure value. And uh, and that's the key to being a good investor to understand where value exists. So it's easier for an investor to have bought uranium at $30 per pound uh, than it would be at $50 per pound. So that is probably the biggest difference of what, what you just made a point of what's cheap and what's fairly priced. Yes, good point with respect to higher prices, uh, where some of these other capital groups push it here as well as the future goes on. I mean, you and I could certainly speculate that there's going to be more pressure uh, with respect to competition in the market in terms of buying physical. As that price increases, yes, that's a bit of an issue. And then the redemption there is basically you can just sell the units. Uh, that's as good as it gets. We can't take physical pound delivery. That's um, correct like to see some competition enter the market a bit, but I think with respect to other motivated groups, this price, it's not as attractive as 30, but it still is quite attractive compared to what I believe incentive price is on a global basis. You probably have some internal thoughts on where this probably goes to reach that area where people are more incentivized and motivated to come into more production, whether it be conventional ISR. Have you sold any pounds to them? Oh, yeah, we've done a lot of business with them. We've supplied them with a lot of millions of pounds of uranium for them. We were very, we, they were very, uh, uh, they came in, in multiple ways. They entered the marketplace because they hired some, uh, a company, WMC, which was a, a group of, uh, of long-term participants in the, uh, uh, in, in the trading side of, uh, of the market uh, who set, set up a company some years ago and Sput used their expertise to purchase a lot of their pounds. They knew that the, a good way to purchase wouldn't be targeting one technique of purchasing, uh, but use all the techniques possible. So they came through the open markets, through the brokers uh, and to the OTC market. And they also used their uh, 
uh, their their connections they had from their years and years of relationships. So they used all ways of getting to the marketplace, and uh, and they did a, a lot of a a lot of pounds with us. Uh, so they used all the tools possible in order to buy those millions and millions of pounds that now sit in that uh, in that ETF that Sprott manages. So yes, they did use us, and uh, and yes, they were. I mean, we speak to them a couple of times a day. They're always curious to know what's going on in the open market, in the uh, in the spot market, or uh, and they specifically target the spot market. They don't they don't go out the curve really. Yes, yeah, so we speak to them quite regularly. That's great, Joe. It's good to have you as a contact there for them. I'm sure it certainly helps them along, and anybody who's talking to you frequently gets some of those good insight. With respect to, uh, you know, we saw some discounts in those units uh, through 2022, really quite a difference in the discount to the units versus the actual price of uranium, resulting in really in an arbitrage opportunity between physical uranium value versus exchanging those pounds for units at a discount if you have the right size. With that, talk about just for a moment at Uranium Markets LLC specifically, can you share with the audience how many pounds you transacted through your brokerage house during 2022? Well, we, we do, a uh, as far as the brokered uh, business, we understand because this is all we do. There's a, a couple of the brokers in, in, the, uh, in the space. And, uh, and and those those brokers tend to do other things other than uh, uranium. Uranium markets, by name in itself, we all we do is uranium, and and we we target that. We've got three uh, long ex existing market professionals: uh, uh, Ross Corbett over in London. We've got Alexandra Penny Paskey over in uh, she's in Brooklyn operating right now, and we have our headquarters here in Greenwich, Connecticut. So we we've been in it. We've been uh, here for our clients. They like the fact that we're uh, uh, we're honest and very transparent in uh, presenting the market. Uh, what we mentioned before about not having a, uh, a dog in the fight. We, we don't bet either way in the market. We, we stepped away from that some years ago. So, uh, so they're, they're comfortable uh, sharing information with us. So, so we, we, we do a fair share of the, uh, a, a good, uh, what, what an annual uh, uh, transactions uh, or consumption an annual, uh, I believe numbers of, of annual consumptions about 125 million pounds. So we do a, uh, we do fair share of a of a, of the of some of that business that takes place. Uh, we we're a private company. We tend not to speak specifically about what we do, uh, but we uh, uh, we could say that uh, the, certainly we provide a great deal of liquidity to the market. Very well, appreciate that, Joe. Term contract volumes. Uh, we haven't got the final numbers yet. We'll probably be around that circa 100 million pounds in 2022 with respect to term contracts. Do you expect that we will have a fairly steady term contracting market of probably similar numbers in 2023? Do you think more or less? Uh, what do you see with respect to that improved term contracting market and bigger volumes? Well, it might sound self-serving, but I think that, uh, that some of the market participants, the consumers have felt comfortable that the market was able to sustain a, uh, a squeeze or a movement that if you read some of the uh, uh, some of the chat rooms about uh, about this marketplace, as I mentioned before, uh, it, it looked like the marketplace was under siege by demand and uh, uh, and sometimes exaggerated by the stories that were being written. So the the consumers uh, want stability. A lot of them are regulated, so they want to be able to express to their uh, to the regulators that the price they paid for uranium was a fair price, so therefore they could pass the cost or the added cost of electricity off to the consumer. So we have a fair number of regulated utilities that that's important to them. So they need the liquidity and stability that 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 we help. But I think with what went on in in the last year, that the uh, the market stability was brought comfort to the consumer. So I think the consumer will probably push a little of their demand or their consumption into the spot market and still do their long-term contracts. And uh, they'll, they'll lock into, because uh, uh, the, they like to support production and they want to make sure they're doing it at a fair level because without production, they can find themselves in trouble. So they don't want a shortage of supply. So they're very happy to uh, do some long-term contracts to make sure that either, either startup operations or, or new operations, or even existing operations, which they have relationships with as well. They like diversity of supply, so that's a good thing. So they'll do that, but they'll they'll do a lot of their business in the spot market because I think they're growing more and more comfortable uh, that the spot market can sustain uh, their uh, or give them the, the needs they, they they want. Because in, in when you're locking into long-term material, there's a contango involved and there's an added cost. Your cheapest uranium historically is in the spot market. 
So they know if they wait, buy it in the spot market, they're getting the better deal. Uh, and with these new prices or these higher prices, going back at least a couple of years, at least we know that these producers are able to start making money if they're not making money already. You know what? If supply is not enough to uh, to meet demand uh, and the price goes up, the wonderful thing about the uranium market is there's plenty of projects waiting to come on. It's the price point that stops them from coming on. So as we increase in price, we just turn on production operations. In our world, consumption's pretty steady. As I mentioned, it takes 10 years to build a nuclear power plant. So our, our consumption steady. We know if you started a nuclear power plant, we, we know you started one. If you're two years in, we know it's eight years when your demands uh, are going to come to market. So these things are known. And as I said, as, as uh, the more demand is announced and more people buy, a price might go up a little bit, if price goes up a little bit, the producers will say, hey, I can produce at, at $60 a pound. At 50 bucks, I can't really start my operations because that'd be a loss of $10 per pound. Uh, so supply can come if it goes up to 60. So people understand that and they might look to say, to, to contract with a, uh, with a new producer at 60 plus a pound so they can make some degree of profit on their operations. So all these mechanisms are in place. We, the, 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 really, this industry wants stability, they don't want incredible volatility. Uh, I know the investor community uh, uh, sometimes uh, is excited about uh, volatility. And for us in this little world that we live in, you made reference to that earlier on. Uh, if you go from uh, from consistently trading between $25 and $30, and now you're consistently trading around $50, $48, $52, somewhere in that range, well, that's a, a dramatic uh, increase in price, which the consumer is okay with, as long as that's what the real price is. So I think the the production side is, is certainly happier than they were at twenty five dollars a pound. Is fifty dollars a pound the magic number? If it's not, if it's a little more expensive than that, because we need supply to come on, uh, then the market will drift up in that direction in a controlled manner. And that's what I think really what this industry is looking for. Joe, you're going to have to tell me what chat rooms you're frequenting. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's loads of stuff going on out there in all the sort, all the different chat rooms, and I, <laughs> I, I there's loads of things going on. So uh, very interesting hearing some of the things that are just so not not even close to true. Some are uh, really future seeing, but uh, some are just kind of out there. But I, I do enjoy the the mystique of the uranium market, where it's it's very as you pointed out before, it is a uh, it's a very incestuous market, I, I guess I could say. It, it's small, everybody knows each other, and it's more mysterious than it is mysterious. <laughs> so, well, we're going to have to get you a Twitter handle. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find doing stuff like that will get you in more trouble and get you any good. So, we don't have time for that. We've actually got a businesses to run here, so that takes the time and uh, the equity market to keep us busy on this side. It's enough for us. So. Um, even with that price increase in the physical uranium. It has been a good blessing in 2022 to see a break in the equities and see the equities kind of follow the broad market a bit and uh, really provide more attractive prices for, for those who are equity buyers. I mean, you should be very pleased to buy these things at substantial discounts to where they were trading in late 2021. Now, the Russia-Ukraine war, you know, obviously this has really impacted the market. Uh, nobody saw this one coming. What impacts do you see coming down the pipe in terms of impacts from the Russia-Ukraine war? And has this conflict impacted your business? Well, yes and no. Uh, as far as the actual uh, uranium itself, U-308, the actual commodity, not so much. Uh, obviously, people are steering away from, for political reasons, not dealing with the Russians. Uh, and really, we'd like to leave it to the government to make those decisions to say whether we can or cannot uh, deal with the Russians. But there's also the uh, the sentiment that a lot of people are, are, are really kind of getting behind where, you know, with everyone's uh, thinking about the, the, the Ukrainian people and, uh, uh, and they've just kind of want to drift away from support of anything that is well, uh, you know, anything that's supporting such an action, nobody wants to uh, to support when one neighbor attacks another neighbor, or or uh, uh, or seems to attack another neighbor. So you kind of you kind of don't want to support that. But as far as the uh, uh, the utility side, they were they were uh, very affected because in in services more so than actual uranium itself in uh, uh, in uh, conversion and uh, uh, SWU EUP stuff 
further out the fuel uh, cycle is where the impact is greatest uh, because there's a lot of swoo being sold by uh, uh, by Russians, a lot of enrichment uh, by the, the Russians. So the, and a lot of contracts with 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 current utilities uh, that are from uh, Russian production, not necessarily on the uranium side, but on the fuel services side later further out the, the uh, fuel cycle where uh, uh, where these the, these uh, utilities, these U.S. utilities are expecting delivery and they're uncertain whether they uh, should or should not uh, accept delivery, whether they can or cannot accept delivery. So the uncertainty is the uh, the enemy uh, of the uh, of the utility. They want certainty. They want to make sure that that fuel rod is being put into the uh, uh, into the reactor when it's meant to be, exactly when it's meant to be. And uh, they don't. A bunch of engineers and, and nuclear physicists over there. They don't like things not being exactly as they are. So the Russian conflict with Ukraine has created uncertainty uh, more out the fuel cycle. Uh, but it has committed uh, has created uncertainty. So there has been double up buying. Uh, Doubling up buying some EUP, doubling up buying some uh, some SWU, uh, and uh, uh, which basically means that uh, the stuff further out the fuel cycle got gobbled up by uh, a lot of the utilities based on just making sure they're hedging themselves. So in case or well, even another uh, option where if the Russians decide not to deliver uh, to U.S. reactors, they at least have uh, have the ability to keep their reactors running. So it has affected the uh, utility side very much. So not so much the commodity side going to be quite interesting to see how this goes over the next few years and what the long-term impacts uh, finally appear to be. I'm sure we haven't caught everything yet and we'll see more come along this year. Switching gears with respect to specific uranium juniors and also projects. I want to ask you just a couple questions on that and then we'll wrap up here. What do you think, Joe? And I know you may not be able to comment on this, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway, what do you think would make for a reasonable merger in the U.S. uranium segment? Well, that's interesting, and, and that's and as you said, that's not really our focus. Uh, we don't we don't even invest in that side. We but we have a relationship with all the uh, all the folks on that side of the business, and, and they're great people. The relationship we have is is when they want to bring some pounds to market or want to acquire some to uh, uh, deliver into some contracts they have existing. So uh, on the uranium side, they're optimistic. They things are looking brighter than they have been for these folks. We know that some of them are acquiring other assets. Uh, I know that uh, UEC has been going out, picking up. Scott Melby has been out there uh, uh, working to pick up some assets, him and his team. And he's always a very big uh, uranium bull. We love hearing his optimism. He, he's fantastic. Uh, and he's picked up a few assets. They, they, they're value shoppers. They buy stuff that's uh, uh, that seems uh, uh, to them anyway to be inexpensive. And, uh, uh, and there's a few other folks always looking around because it's heading the right direction for them. As far as investing, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, about uh, a year or two ago, uh, there was a big hype on investment stocks where people knowing that I was in the sector, uh, a hype on uranium stocks to invest in, because uh, people who have no business being in it at all were calling me up saying they're buying this and buying that. And uh, well, I said, that's interesting. Uh, there's, 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 a, there's a chance that, uh, that this more price will go up, as we mentioned before, uh, to meet their production costs plus their need for profitability, uh, it's certainly heading in that right direction. So some of these juniors are good investments. But as far as mergers go, that's not something I work on. And, uh, and and that's what those guys work on. And there's a lot of them, they're always talking to each other. It's a small group and uh, everybody knows everybody. Uh, everybody knows the assets, knows them in and out, because uh, most of the folks, as I mentioned, have been in this industry for many, many years. So there's opportunities there. Not my expertise, who should merge with who or wh what asset is the cheapest or the most valuable. Not my thing. So sorry, I can't give you a better answer than that. Appreciate that. And it was an audience question and I wanted to ask it anyway, just get a flavor from you on it. And you know of, certainly know of some of these projects out there, some of these projects that are in development, uh, projects that uh, already have produced in the past and are a restart project. Is there any specific project out there that you like, Joe, or you'd like to see turned back on or you'd like to see developed? Is there any particular project globally, it could be in the U.S. or somewhere else, anything that you like there that you want to mention? Well, I'm going to say something a little, well, it won't answer your question, but it'll be from my perspective. So I could uh, let you know why I can't really answer your question very well. Uh, I'm not analyzing these uh, potential uh, miners. I'm just facilitating their needs, uh, as I mentioned, for uh, either demand or supply with uranium. But what they do when I'm seeing them at these various conferences we go to, 
Uh, what I'm seeing is they're putting their best foot forward. Uh, they're they're wearing their best suit and they're out and uh, speaking to the potential investors in their equity. And uh, and they're saying, hey, look at us. We're really good at what we do. And so I, I don't really grind down to the inner workings. I just see them on their best form. Uh, so they all look good to me and they're all presenting and they're all going to they're all going to do very well. So I, I don't see them in their actual uh, structure, whether they can or cannot make money on their projects. I see them on presentation mode and they're all a bunch of great guys. And I, I'm happy to have be on that side. And they all know that we don't invest. So they don't uh, uh, they can be honest with us. But but basically, I am not looking for the negative. I'm only enjoying the positive from these folks. You're in a position where you're a spectator and it's a good position to be in because you're right. I mean, you see the makeup and the lipstick and everything on. I certainly get your position. It's more fun when you're dealing that side of it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to say, wait a minute, you're not really that. I don't have to say that. I could say you guys are great yes. and they say you're great. So everyone, everyone compliments each other. So it's a good thing. From New York to Vancouver to Perth. Absolutely. Um, I, I get it. Uh, okay, let's move on here. For anyone who wants to buy physical uranium using Uranium Markets LLC, how can they do that, and what are the requirements? Well, it's it's more complicated than I can speak, but it's doable. Uh, it's not for everybody. Your size of your transaction in the physical market is your average. Your normal transaction is a hundred thousand pounds. At uh, at fifty dollars per pound, I'm going to test your math here, Andrew. So get ready. At fifty dollars a pound, hundred thousand pounds. What is the nominal value of that acquisition? Well, that's five million dollars. That's right. So to participate at the most uh, basic level of transaction in the physical market, uh, it's a five million dollar acquisition. So uh, uh, so therefore, if you're not prepared to uh, if you want to do much smaller intervals, it, it, there's no liquidity for that in the uh, physical market. So your your price of entry just to buy your normal interval. If you want to buy a smaller interval, much smaller interval, there's a premium attached to it. It makes it prohibitive. So it, it, it's it was designed uh, to be a consumer producer market with a very few traders involved who have a great understanding of the business, a pretty big balance sheet. So, But for the in, individual investor, we could create the opportunity for them to invest. We've done it to a number of funds that are sitting on, on physical pounds right now uh, where we could help them do that. It's complicated. we got to get you a, a, a an account in one of the converters, uh, storage facility. Uh, what you do is you uh, uh, when you buy it, you don't actually get physical delivery of it. You just own a certificate that says you have this amount of pounds in this storage facility. And then you buy it at a certain price. Uh, and then you could sell that certificate at a higher price, but you actually have ownership of a higher price if you're lucky, if, if you're unlucky and you sell at a lower price. But the, uh, uh, the point is you have the ownership within the facility. And in the facility, the uranium is fungible. So you just have to know that there's there's so many millions of pounds in that facility and you own 100,000 pounds of it or 200,000 pounds of it or something. But there's a, a screening process that the facilities, the storage facilities, converters will put you through. It's not a, not a hard one, not, not a complicated one, a process which they'll put you through. Uh, we'll help you along with that. You just give us a call. Uh, give me a call, 203-536-0025. And uh, I could walk you through the process. And uh, and we've done it with, with, with a bunch of uh, people before. A lot of people come in, they call us, they ask us how they could buy physical uranium. And we end up directing them to Sput or maybe to the equities and say, maybe you're more suited to, uh, uh, to be an investor in a potential mining company or an existing mining company. But some people are, uh, they actually, when we, when we explain how the whole physical market works, uh, and, and there, there are a good couple of dozen folks out there that have a, have a set up investment portfolios based on uh, on us setting them up with the various uh, uh, various opportunities. And we could set them up, walk them through the whole process. And our job is to not get you cheap uranium or have you sell expensive uranium. Our job is to, to get you the fair price of uranium at the time. And the interesting thing about what we do uh, as a broker, as an intermediary, as an OTC uh, exchange, uh, the byproduct of us matching buyers and sellers up is a true price of uranium. So since it's such an illiquid market, it's a, it's a rare commodity uh, having the actual true price of uranium. And if uranium trades uh, at, uh, at, say, $50 a pound right now, uh, if we're matching a buyer and seller this morning and do that, then that is the price of uranium right now. 
So, and we, we put that out to the marketplace and that's the byproduct of us matching buyers and sellers up in an open forum during negotiations. When we have a buyer and a seller, uh, those negotiations are published to all involved. Everybody hears all the people buy and sell uranium hear that they say a, a 49.75 bid, and then they hear there's a 50.25 offer. And then we say, well, the 5025 offer staying at 5025, then some other third party might commit at 50. And then if we trade at 5025, then the entire world knows. We tell them immediately that 5025 is the new price of uranium. Joe, I appreciate the process and I always like to offer it up just for our audience, which I suspect would include um, some high net worth and uh, institutions and funds who I know listen in on these podcasts. Uh, so definitely maybe there's some interest there. As far as the rest of it goes, I think it's a fairly straightforward process. There's going to be storage fees, commissions, et cetera. If you've gone to a gun shop before and have a background check, it, it probably isn't much more complicated than that. Yeah, no, I think people that have interest and have the means to write that kind of a check might find uh, the services that you offer quite useful. Uh, Joe, just a little bit more here. Um, I know you just covered it, but I want to ask you again and to promote a little bit of you and your company as a thank you for coming on and doing a podcast with us. For the uh, junior uranium companies out there, the institutions, the hedge funds, the high net worth individuals, the offices, the utilities even, and the fuel cycle service providers who might need material, uh, once again, why should they call the esteemed gentleman from Connecticut and uranium markets for their uranium needs? Well, what we do is we get, as I mentioned a little bit before, uh, it, it's fair. It's a fair price of uranium. It's where uranium is, and you'll get. And, and the the fun thing about calling us and asking us questions and, and us possibly helping you through the process, if, if it suits your investment needs, is that we do not charge anything to anybody uh, unless you are actually uh, transacting. And only after a successful conclusion of a transaction do you get charged. So therefore, we could bring you through the process. We sorry about that. We can uh, uh, simulate or bring you through a, a make-believe acquisition and, and uh, go through the process. We can explain everything. We can, we've talked to some folks for years at a time, and they're just watching, watching, watching. And then after years of, of talking to them, they feel it's time to execute, and they execute, and they do a deal. They get successful delivery of uranium uh, into their account. They get their uh, uh, uranium certificate, and, they, and only then do they do we charge them? So there's a, a wonderful opportunity uh, for just to understand how it works by giving us a call. It's a relatively illiquid market. It's a quiet market. We always have time for everybody and uh, we'll give access to everybody uh, the explanation on how they can get there. We'll help them set up, walk them through the process. It'll be a whole friendly thing. So if you want to learn something about it, you want to understand how it works, you want to call, you want to have a chat, you want us to be on your podcast, we're all good. <laughs> That's the way we are. <laughs> and what's the best way they can reach out to you? Uh, best thing is just give me a call. I'm all, all kind of old school in that sense where uh, I just like talking to people. It's 203-536-0025. And Joe Kelly, I'll be available at all times. And if I can't take you that moment, like that phone call that rang just then, as soon as we're done with the podcast, I'll give them a call. Somebody who's looking at, they're actually typing something over now. They're bidding uh, 4975 uh, for 100,000 pounds of uranium. So, uh, uh, so we now know that we have demand at 49.75, and uh, on the market opens at about, well, probably usually about 9:30 is when we uh, when we kick off. So we have a 49.75 bid, and we're waiting to see where the next offer comes in. Up, oh, there's one at 50.75. So we're 49.75, 50.75 now to start the day. I'll kick you a low ball. It'll be well below that, but I'll do it nonetheless. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> hey, Joe, look, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I'll let you get to work. Always fun. And we'll keep in touch. Oh, great, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, good luck and uh, enjoy the year. Happy New Year.